Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today, I have a special guest, Roger Gunn. He is a golf professional who both played in college at UCLA and then was on the PGA Tour as well. He is a two-time U.S. Open participant and a senior Open participant and is in Golf Magazine's Top 100 Alumni. And in addition to that, most importantly, he practices lit daily. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom, through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Friday with friends and I have a new friend with me, Roger Gunn. He is a professional golf player and I will let him take it over from here. Welcome, Roger. Thanks, sir. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad to have you on here. Let's first talk about um, your entry into golf. Like, How does one pick the sport of golf as a, just as, as a sport, but then it became your profession. Yeah, my my um, mom was a great player. Well, great. I mean, not by world class standards, but she was a single digit handicapper, which means she's in the top ten percent of all golfers. So she was a very nice player, and we lived on a golf course. So uh, she used to take me out there when I was a little guy, and so that was a lot of fun for me. And you know, it was right in my backyard, so I could go out, you know, and uh, and play. I, I didn't need someone else to, to join me. I could just go out and play by myself, and which I did a lot. And we had a, um, I crossed paths with a PE coach a little later in my life who was a golf nut, who was very giving with his time and helped a lot of us young people out. And I just had a passion for it and got better and better. And, and so I ended up going to UCLA and playing golf there and continued to hone my skills and then played on tours around the world after I graduated in Europe and and played a lot uh, around the States and whatnot. So it's been a a lifelong passion. I always enjoyed uh, teaching along the way, even when I was playing. And so that became my profession after I ended up retiring. So So what age did you officially retire? I officially retired when my daughter came along. So me sort of cruising along, making expenses was not to be you know sustainable <laughs> so you can do that when you're younger but you know i had a family I had to you know kind of get a real job and and um, started teaching golf just as a interim measure and turned out i was pretty good at it and enjoyed it so that's what i kept doing so that was um i guess uh, 94 or so 
is when I stopped playing. Okay. So what is the professional golf tour like? Like, is it kind of like, I would, I mean, I know my, my older brother, he won, he and his wife won lifelong tickets to the masters in Georgia. Yeah. Right. Everybody wants to be your brother. I know. Right there. And so I, I, they, um, go every single year, except of course this year, but and it seems a lot like kind of, I don't want to say a party scene, but it's almost like got a rock concert, like uh feel to it. Did you find that? Like, is that really, was that super addictive? <laughs> well, it certainly can be. I mean, there's nothing like playing high level tournament golf and playing it well. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a very exhilarating thing. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, you know, you're living out of a suitcase and you're eating at restaurants every night and, and, um, you know, and then you're packing it up and going next week to the following place. So some people like it. I mean, I, I never minded it at all. Some people absolutely hate it. So, you know, it just depends on how you're wired and what you like to do. But I mean, it's a, it's a constant grind in terms of Monday is travel. So you're packing up all your stuff and going to the next venue. And Tuesday is the practice round. So you're trying to learn the course and Wednesday's the Pro-Am where you play with uh, some amateur golfers that, that, that come on board and play in, the, in that event the day before. And then you have four days of the tournament and then you go do it again. Usually golfers are good for about four or five weeks and then you're so fried, you know, mentally you can't, you can't do it. Guys, you try to play nine, 10 weeks in a row. A lot of times there's serious performance issues <laughs> toward the end of that. But yeah, it's funny as, as far as, um, you know, how, how your activity plays into the mix is, you know, if I were to offer you an activity where we're going to bend over, we're going to twist as far as you can back and forth. You're going to do it probably nearly as hard as you can a lot of the time. You're going to practice swing a lot that way. And we're going to do it thousands and thousands of reps only on one side. You'd go, oh no, (laughs) this is good. It'd be a problem. So that's why golfers deal so much with, you know, the lopsidedness of the action. And, and um, you know, even though it's not thought of as like a football or a basketball or something, you're actually torquing your spine in an amazing way. So that, that maintenance of the spine is super important. So what kind of things, like, especially when you're touring, but even, even now we can get into, but when, when you were younger, I mean, obviously some of this it, it does seem like there's a range of golfer bodies. Like I remember, I forgot his name, but he was blonde and he was real big. What was it? John? Um, oh, John Daly. Yeah. John Daly. And he like, looks like what? And you know, so some of it was like, he just had force. He had mass to accelerate the ball. Right. But he probably had a pretty short, he probably had an expiration date that was shorter than some, because I would imagine Maybe he was in better shape than he looked, but you do have to, like you said, you have to do something that is going to counter that for the sustainability. I mean, I know Tiger's had what two back surgeries at least. It so if aside from you know the the kind of um, outliers who are just really good and maybe don't have the physique and the physicality uh, uh, where they're practicing other things, what would you say like keeps people playing the longest? Well, that's such a great question. You know, I mean, you get someone like Nolan Ryan who was pitching, you know, into his 40s who could still throw it 100 miles an hour and no arm issues and things like that. Yeah, I'm, um, 
It's a hard one to answer. I mean, there's a guy named Vijay Singh who's now on the Champions Tour who was known as just pounding balls all the time. When he wasn't on the course, he was hitting golf balls and, and he's still doing it great to this day without any major injuries. A lot of the young guys now, they've grown up the generation watching Tiger Woods play. So what did Tiger teach us? Tiger taught us that you work out, you swing pretty much as hard as you can, and you're not afraid of anybody ever. And so now you have a whole generation of guys that are swinging so hard you can't believe it. And a lot of them talk about their own longevity, where it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be playing when I'm 35 or 40, you know, which is kind of wild when you talk about a you know, 22-year-old guy talking to you. But, but that's kind of the nature of the game. Did did you have any um, like kind of physical therapy people along like alongside like other sports definitely have that they do now for sure you know a lot of them have the, their own chiropractor that travels with them and you know they have this whole team and so just to try to to stay on top of things because you know it, it is so uh, it, I mean it's not like football. But these guys are like actually injured half the time, you know, where it's like, okay, I can't use my arm, but, um, you know, the repetitive motion of golf, you know, if you were to ask me major injuries, I maybe had one or two over my career of playing, but in terms of like, how often did I feel perfect 5% of the time, you know, where it's like, you could ask, how are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Or do you feel perfect? Uh, no, actually my shoulder hurts right now. Yeah. Yeah. So what would, cause I work with, um, Olympian rowers. And so there's some similarities in that they also aren't contending with injuries like football or something where you'd have other people like tackling you and, but they're doing a super repetitive one side dominant, um, the force of the water. It's really challenging cracking their, you know, fracturing their ribs, shoulder and low back. It's all like that, you know, when I say, Hey, I work with them once a week. Like, what do you guys want to work on? They're like, oh my God, my back, you know, we've got to do something. And it's like, you know, so I just work with them on really trying to unwind some of the stuff that, that they've built up from that one-sided activity. Uh, but it's always, it, it really surprised me when I first learned about their rib injuries because of, you know, I would think you guys have more of a pull across and where they're pulling back. So there's a lot more torque into the water. So were ribs ever a thing for, for y'all or is it mostly shoulders and um, low backs? A lot of shoulders, a lot of lower back, hardly ever leg, that kind of thing. Occasionally you get a knee, but uh, wrist, wrist injuries, things like that. Um, and th- those rib cage injuries are just nasty. So, I mean, that, that's probably my longest injury that, that's, that stayed with me for many, many years. And I did that just by bending over and marking a golf ball on the green. I, I stood up and I was like, well, what's that? You know, and the next day I was <laughs> hugging my chest, like what on earth? But those little muscle strains in the rib cage are, are really pesky. They're and terrible. Now I was going to ask you a question. Yeah. How is your back? My back is great. My back is great. I mean, I, you mean because of just the, like, in general? Yeah, I mean, we can look at you like a pretzel and you're standing mm-hmm. upside down and doing all this stuff. And it's like, you know, because some people I've seen that have amazingly flexible hamstrings, for example, have, can have a terrible back still. Right. You no, know, yeah. and it's, it's like, 
So we look at you bending all around and maybe at the end of the day, you're going, how, but maybe not. No, and I'm not. And here's why, Roger, because, because of my PT background and just having studied the body so much and mechan- and looking at mechanics, really understanding force vectors and understanding um, sustainability for the joints. While it looks like I am really flexible, uh, more than anything, I'm really balanced. And that's the key is like my hamstrings are more open than say yours. And you you might never, ever have the hamstring flexibility I have. And that's okay, actually, because, and I don't want mine actually any more flexible than they are. Everyone should have probably about 30% of restraint in their hamstring because the hamstrings, like the calves, are very much coil muscles. They're, They're really there for like, if you think of running, this kind of return of energy. So for the yogis, and I treat a lot of yogis, and you can't, I mean, actually, in some ways, the reason I've been able to get to the level I have in, in, in my yoga platform is that I have so many yogis who have been practicing yoga, teaching yoga, whatever, and have sustained injuries that, like you're saying, their back feels gra- you know really grouchy, their shoulders, these are uh, shoulders and low back are huge areas for people. And that's when they're overindulging or kind of glorifying this flexible like pretzel thing, right? Like foot behind the head, splits and all that, none of which I teach. And I'm always really careful in my languaging. I'm sure you've probably noticed in my classes like that I'm not saying like, go for this, deepen that. What I'm really interested in is can you keep a neutral spine no matter like what you're doing? Even if you're doing a backbendy thing, the spine is somewhat neutral and then it should be getting extension, but in all of the segments. So usually like women um, might be able to bend a lot more in certain parts of their spine and the lumbar spine. And they're, they're getting a lot of their movement from there, but they might be more limited in their thoracic spine. And over time, I mean, I've saw two people this weekend, uh, private clients who, you know, young 30, you know, who have, were having serious low back stuff. And, and it's that going too deep into things without the restraints. You need this beautiful balance of strength and stability. And that's when you're, the yoga practice is really uh, uh, just has longevity. And um, it's beautiful because it isn't, but that's a discipline. You know, that's a real discipline to be to go for much. And there's a lot of things like going into handstands or forearm balances, which are to me, they're just markers. They're just kind of, they're truth tellers. Like you can't really balance on your hands or your forearms well um, if you don't have overall balance. You don't have to be super strong. You don't have to be super bendy, but you need to have the combination so that you can stack yourself upside down, have the proprioception to know like how what vertical feels like when it's inverted. And that takes time. That's a discipline just to kind of keep coming at it. And so for me, that's like, that's pretty much what I do. I don't do other things and I add plyo to it. And, you know, I probably could be doing some other things, but I'm, I'm really satisfied because I feel really great. That's, that's always, and again, a marker is like being able to feel good. And then what I try and do is bring balance into the, to people who are doing other things, like you're doing golf or the rowers are doing rowing or people that run a lot or bike a lot or or just kind of overall 
you know, gym, I don't want to say gym rats, but just experimenting with a lot of different movement. And yet they still, we, we tend to just move in the patterns that we're used to moving. And that's really the brain mapping. And that's what's so fascinating about something that is um, like, like golf. Like you started young, I'm sure that was super advantageous, but like you got that wiring of like the exact amount of torque that was needed, how much you had to rotate through your rib cage, how you had to hold your arm to deliver that. Um, did that just, did you just have to practice? Like when you teach, okay, say you're going to teach somebody, like, where do you start? Like, which part of that do you start with? Well, I mean, to hit a golf ball in a direction, <laughs> the, the club head has to do a certain thing to the golf ball. So um, in its simplest terms, you know, a, a swing is like a big circle that goes around us. It's not a straight line motion, even though we want the ball to go straight. So um, I, I'll start by looking and, tell, and seeing what the ball is telling me about what the club is doing. You know, they have diagnostic equipment like TrackMan and FlightScope and things that can help you with this, but you can also do it with the naked eye just by watching what the ball is doing. So let's say, for example, I, I think that the person is swinging too far to the left to hit a straight golf shot. So we need to get this person to swing more to the right. So now I need to look for the physical source of the issue. Like what's making it do that? Something's making the club swing over there. What is it? So now... It's like looking for a needle in a haystack, but I were to tell you that it's in a certain 10-inch area of this of the haystack, now you can find it, as opposed to just kind of winging it. But you know, that's, that's what I'm looking at, is to try to find the human source of the error of what the club is doing wrong to create the shot pattern that they're getting. Uh, there are some other things that, that sort of will affect the uh, consistency of the striking motion. So to make sure that the body is doing what it's supposed to do, that there's no manipulations, things like that. So, and then obviously I'm looking at the physical nature of the golfer as well. Um, but it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I have learned over the years to never underestimate anybody. You know, you could have a, a portly person show up who looks like they have no athletic ability and, and their swing surprises you and they're able to adopt what you're saying almost instantaneously where it's like, wow, that's a great golf athlete right now. That person, you know, can, can do what I'm asking them to do. Others might look like a real specimen and they can't make sort of any headway in changing their motion. So. Right. I've actually played golf a, uh, a little bit. I dated a guy a while ago who's a big golfer and he got me clubs and everything and I was very naturally pretty good, you know, and, but it was not consistent. So that was the thing. And I think everybody says this about golf. Of course, you know, you play all the time, but a lot of people are like, Hey, I did great. And then, Oh my God, I really blew it. Today. <laughs> like, and, in, and is that just, again, that you have to just that discipline of practicing over and over. So it's in your, it's in the motor mechanics of it is. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're, you're, you're training your brain to fire a sequence of signals to your muscles to create the motion. So, but even my friends who play on TV say the same thing. If I was just more consistent, you know, so. <laughs> I know you wonder what that's about, right? So what, are the, what do you notice the difference between like women and men um, in terms of when you're teaching them? Is there a difference in how like a woman can, uh, what she, what she needs to focus on versus a man, or is it pretty similar teaching them? 
that that's that's also a really good question. I, I would say that from a learning standpoint, just over the years that I've seen, is that women they don't want to hear the backstory as much as men do. Men are kind of standing there metaphorically with their arms crossed going, yeah, why do I want to do that? And the ladies are more to the point where it's like, don't, don't baffle me with all the back stuff. Get, what do I need to do here? Okay. And so <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of a, an interesting thing. You know, the making sure that they put the club on the ball every time for the, for the ladies that might have lower club head speed. So, you know, that way they can hit the ball and, and have fun when they're playing. You know, men have various degrees of power. So you might have someone who's quite a bit more powerful than I am, and they just need to know how to hit it in the right direction. And how long did it take to figure out the clubs and all that? Like, which club is best? Because that was something I could never figure out. I'd be like, what should I be using here? And he'd be like, oh, try the seven iron. <laughs> and I'd be like... But I wanted to go farther. So I'd be like, I want the wood. You know, I was really like into the wood because I thought I could drive it more. But Right. Well, the expert players, that's something that they do all the time is that they will try to pinpoint exactly how far the ball is going with that club in that circumstance. And they'll actually write it down. So, you know, if they've got a 150-yard shot on this particular hole and they think that that's a nine iron, and they hit their ball and they see that the pitch mark is five yards past that. So 155, well, they just hit their nine iron 155 and they'll write down what conditions that that were occurring at the time. And so now when they return to that hole on another day, they'll say, oh, here I am standing at, you know, 150. If I pull my nine iron, I better hit it a little easier because it goes, you know, one farther than that in this, in this circumstance. So for the average golfer, they, they can do the same kind of thing. Where it's like, keep a pulse. When you hit a good one, how far did it fly? And, you know, even if it's a pitch mark is in the sand trap or whatever, you know, you can see how far it carried. So you can recognize for the next time around. And I mean, that's really what it is, is you're looking at a target and you choose the distance to that target. And then you say, well, what club goes that distance? And that's what you choose. Now, how about surface area? Because I, you know, I know like running, you have a different return of energy. And I, obviously I have played enough golf. It, again, it's like maybe 20 times total, but that I do know that the different um, types of grass and all of that, like I, we were in Scotland a few years back hiking and part of our hiking trail went across one of the, you know, very old classic golf courses. And I was so surprised at how, how, uh, tall their grass was it was like in its natural form what is that like playing i mean obviously that also changes the depth i would imagine like how you strike it and how far it can go because of the actual surface itself no question i mean the especially in scotland where the ground can be as hard as the street so you know you might get a shot that lands one place and ends up you know, in a lot different place because of the surface of the ground. And um, even the grasses in the United States between the kind of grass that we have in California versus the kind of grass they have in Florida. So all the Florida guys laugh at the California guys when we're in Florida trying to chip the ball because you have to play it with a different technique and we're not used to it and vice versa. So they come out with their more aggressive chipping motions out here and, you know, and try to do that in California and it doesn't quite work as well. So it's kind of funny how it goes back and forth like that. You know, an example is a, is a professional golfer hitting a seven iron 
Um, it, probably around 170 yards, they'll hit it on the fly. So Justin Leonard, a few years ago, playing in the British Open, who's not a long hitter for the tour, so his seven iron might be even a little shorter, had 295 yards to a creek that went across the fairway, and he hit his seven iron to lay up short of it and went in the creek. Ah. So that's the ball landing. It didn't land any farther, but it bounced and bounced and bounced until it found the trouble. So that kind of playing can be very difficult to figure that out is, you know, not only are you looking at the yardage to the flagstick, but how, how far is this ball going to bounce? And I have to play for that. And then you take into account the conditions, maybe the winds in your face or it's the wind is behind you. And, and uh, is the ball sitting clean or is it in the rough, which if grass gets between the face and the, of the ball, the face of the club and the ball, it can create uh, a lot different distance. So do you have a favorite, uh, do you have a favorite golf course? Do you like something that has a lot of variety and terrain and, and this type of things? Or are you more like stream, like kind of streamlined? Yeah. I mean, I, I think every golfer has courses that suit their, their abilities. So, I mean, I, my techniques, um, my abilities, if you will, were, uh, hitting the ball where I was looking. So I was an accurate player. I was a smart player. So in terms of negotiating the course and, and good chipping and putting. So sort of those things, other players might be revolved around just hitting the ball super far. So they might like a golf course that uh, allows them to do that. It might be a little bit more wide open. So anyways, that was the, you're more tactical in other words, like you're, well, yeah, yeah, I suppose I had to be tactical. They, they could sort of overpower where it's like, you know, I'm just going to shoot it down there. I'm going to be smart. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's uh, absolutely the case where you get the different styles that suit, suit folks. Now, what's it been like? uh, Cause we have, we're similar in this way, like merging your passion with now, I mean, it was obviously a profession and now it's even more of a profession. You're teaching it. Um, what has that been like? Do you still experience, like, does it still feel like joyful to get out there and play? And do you ever feel like, gosh, I wish I was doing something else or is it not? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's something that, that teachers run into. Usually I, I find that it's after about the seven year mark where if someone continues teaching after that, they really do like it. And other, you know, teachers might be there saying, get me out of here. You know, I look at it more like I, that looks like fun. I want to try. So a lot of times at the end of a long day teaching, I'll grab some, uh, a club and hit some balls myself. So thank goodness because exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's a lot like I'm sure what you go through in terms of figuring somebody out, like why is this person in pain? Let me see them move and see what's happening. So it's like a puzzle. So to me, I'm faced with that every time someone comes for a lesson. So why, you know, how can I move this person in more of a forward direction? And, and um, they ask me sometimes, you know, are, do you, are you getting frustrated with me? And I say, I never get frustrated with the student. I always look at it that I'm not the one giving you the right cues. So I put it on myself. So, you know, that's, um, I think that kind of attitude has helped me. Yeah. Yeah. How is your coaching and your teaching changed and evolved? Would you say? I guarantee it's changed as much as your teaching has. 
So if you look at yourself, however long you've been teaching, 20 or 30 years ago, you'd say, wow, I should know a lot more now than I did back when. And so, you know, it's the technology is just amazing out there. So we've learned a lot in terms of technique. You know, back when I was playing, we didn't have what I, what I say is we didn't know anything about anything when it came to impact and ball flight. And what we did think we knew was wrong. So um, there's, like I say, been a lot of diagnostic equipment that's come out that has helped with that a great deal. And just just learning to build a better mousetrap, you know, where it's like you watch teachers who are really flourishing and, and you learn from what they're doing. And, and uh, it's a very free-flowing situation with information in golf. So, you know, it, it's not sort of a heavily guarded secret. Most teachers are very giving with their time and, you know, uh, and they learn from each other too. And so it's, it's been great. So I, I think, um, especially over the last 10 years, I've, I've seen a giant jump in the quality of teaching and it's, it's, it's great. It's a, it's a tribute to, I guess, I guess the generation that, that I'm coming from and, and the generation that we learned from, you know, it's like, this is how you do it. So we got a, a, a head start on it and gave our information to these new guys. And, you know, the next generation will be that much better for it as well. I feel like it's the same both in yoga and in physical therapy because, you know, there's at a, to some degree, just having years of experience and seeing lots of bodies is a huge, I mean, that's, there's, there's nothing quite like that, you know, and then you add on the technology and all that amazing, but, you know, sometimes especially like in PT, the science is actually catching up with some stuff we already know just because we've seen it enough. And I think that, um, we're well positioned in our, like in our, we're not seniors, but in having some decades under the belt of just witnessing enough people and like, Hey, this worked really well for this kind of issue. And it, yeah, just doing it enough. And that's, I feel the same way. Like I have, I always feel sad for people who are like three, five, like you said, seven years in and are like, Oh, I'm kind of stale and this is boring. And then how do you do this after 25 years? And it's like, it's because we're working with, I'm, 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 I don't know. It's just, I find it, the body is fascinating and I find people fascinating and the brain is fat and, you know, it's all together. So it, I don't think I would ever have a moment where I feel bored by it. I'm just, um, I'm like you, I'm like, if I'm not getting the result I want, I want to see what I can do to help the person along. Um, so you have, Oh, privates, but I also you have programs as well. Like, talk a little bit about your programs that you have. Yeah, and I, my lessons are private. Um, you know, sometimes I'll go on the course with multiple students, but uh, and I have taught very large clinics in the past, so that's something I have done. The facility where I'm working now doesn't lend itself quite as well to that, um, so that's why it's not really any other reason than that. But I like I like filming stuff too because that's a way to disseminate information to a great deal of a great number of people, if you will. It, it, you know, it, any type of learning situation where I'm running into people who enjoy learning and enjoy, you know, finding out something new and something cool, it's fun. Mm -hmm. So that could be a beginning golfer or the person you just saw on TV last week. So. Have you have you had many yoga yogis that uh in your um, any private lessons? I've with? had a, a couple of them. There was a lady one time 
who was a teacher and I had taken her to the top of her back swing. I said, now, do you feel a little stretch right there? She said, no. (laughs) 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 That was a little bit of a challenge. You're like, oh, wait, hold on. We want to have a little, we want to have some tautness there because it's a wind up. Yeah, it is. It's a wind up. Yeah. Yeah, that's that whole thing. You don't want to be, you don't want to be too, uh, too flexible, but you also don't want to be inflexible. So, so when, when you find that, when you find people, and I imagine both genders are, but I'm imagining more males are just typically because in, in my experience, and, and they do tend to have some more limited range of motion in a lot of different places, but what are some things that you recommend them to do? Well, the, the thing I've been showing them the most is uh, uh, your fascia releasing techniques where it's like, this is different than probably you've ever seen in terms of movement, which is what hooked me, actually. It's like, now that makes sense to me right there. You know, just laying on the floor and sticking your leg out in front of you and leaning over for, you know, two minutes straight. It just didn't make sense to me. It never did a darn thing for me flexibility-wise. And so seeing that movement, I think, is great, Um, especially getting that bilateral situation where you're doing it on both sides and not just one direction, I think, is huge. And, um, you know, anything to get the body moving, really, Uh, getting the shoulders loosened up and and, uh, the back, of course. Yeah. You know, I have a shoulder bliss class. I don't know if you've taken it yet, but you'll have to try that. Um, so, <laughs> so how did you find, how did you find, um, find me? I Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was one of the, just, I just came across it. And so it was, it was a, uh, you were sort of sitting crisscross applesauce, uh, with maybe one leg a little higher and you were making a sort of a swimming motion with your shoulders you know, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, oh, there you go. That one looks amazing. So I found that. And, and um, I think at one point I reached out to you. I, I think when I, when I reached out to you, actually, I, I, my back was in spasm at the time. So I was, I was kind of creaking around and, and maybe looking a little harder than normal for stuff. And, and um, so I found you and your stuff is awesome. Oh, there it is. There you go. Um, well, thank you. Do, does anybody else in your family play golf? You know, was that, my, was that like a prerequisite? <laughs> my son could pick it up in about three seconds. He's 23 years old now and, and played some when he was little and never really got hooked on it. I have, uh, uh, my wife is the only person who's ever hit me with a golf club during a golf lesson. <laughs> yeah. They always, I, my husband and I, we don't like he's, well, it took the first lesson. It was, went really bad. And, and that was like 23 years ago. And then it was like a decade before we could get that. Cause I said something just like a really rote, stupid comment, you know, like trying to like bend over and he's like, I can't do that. And it was just anger. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> to my wife, I'll say, honey, don't roll your eyes at me. I've had you know, top golfers fly me around the world to watch them. You might want to listen. And so, you know, <laughs> it keeps you humble, right? It totally keeps you humble. <laughs> she's looking at the trees and rolling her eyes. But yeah. so she's tried it, but uh, not not as a, not as a long like a hobby. Right? Yeah, she's yeah. she's threatened to want to pick it up a little bit more though. So we'll we'll see what. Yeah, happens. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your, taking your time. I think that there's a lot of golfers out there that could learn a lot from you. Um, where can people find you and find information out about, I know you have stuff on YouTube I've seen, but 
Do you have, yeah. Yeah, there's some stuff on YouTube. and um, But Instagram is probably the best. Uh, Roger Gun Golf. And yeah, anybody can direct message me if they have any questions. But that's you know, great. I post stuff there that can help folks and talk about golf. And, and um, so it's, it's a good place to find out about my stuff. I love that. And that's where we met. So I'm always grateful for Instagram for introducing me to lots of cool people. And you know, if I make it out to California, I'll have to try swinging a club again. (laughs) Now I'll have an expert, like not just like, not just doing whatever I think is good. Um, But thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you anybody who's an aspiring golfer or is already golfing like Greg, the cameraman is um, so into Roger Gunn. Uh, Take a look at Roger's stuff on Instagram or he's got lots of YouTube videos and um, thank you again and everyone out there as always I'm pulling for you deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.